0: mom thanks for being here if you're joining us now you're in part three of my crazy twisty turning fertility and infertility journey that went on for seven years and finally ended in success which we're going to get to right now which is the best part of all and something i hope inspires and gives some hope to anyone out there who's going through something similar and uh needs to hear a story that ultimately had its twists and turns but became a success. And we just got through section or part two, which talked about me miscarrying while directing and producing two U.S. presidents. It talked about losing four babies in three weeks, which sounds impossible, but it wasn't. And it happened. And it talked about my journey into realizing we needed to explore surrogacy and us working with our first Amazing surrogate Carly. And um, we ended with me talking about how we lost four babies in three weeks. And you can listen to part two to hear about that. But, um, and we talked about what I like to call the rising when somebody jokingly called me the Tom Brady of fertility. And I told him that was the most inspiring thing anyone said to me throughout this whole journey. Um, so I left. Part Two, um, that you may have just heard telling my husband we're 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 getting a baby, no matter what comes in our path, um, we're gonna get there so um you know part three starts with one of the most difficult phone calls ever, and that was me having to part ways with Carly, who was my beautiful, beautiful first surrogate, and it wasn't anything about Carly, it was about George and I, and it was. George, who said, you know, Carol, like Carly is young and beautiful. And I mean, maybe even somewhat innocent compared to us who are, you know, we're 20 years older, we're jaded, and we've been through so much horror and pain with this journey. And now she just went through it. And he said, you know, I can't bear the thought of her losing another one of our babies. And it's not so much even for us, but it's for her. You know, we love her. And and I think we should just start anew. Like, I don't want her to be hurt anymore either. So we did. And that was a very hard phone call to have, but she understood. And um, soon after we were matched with our second surrogate, Lisa. And just like with Carly, we hit it off right away. Her husband was wonderful. She has two young boys and and they were all excited that mommy was gonna help, you know, me um, realize our dream of having a baby. Um, But we were down to our last couple embryos. So um, every, you know, so many years had passed that I'm now well into my 40s that I'm not, not getting any more embryos. So we're down to a few and every last bit was on the line. And so on January 17th, 2019, we transferred one of those embryos into Lisa. I'm going to tell a side story real quick, but it's going to make sense after I tell it to you. Um, But back when I lived in New York years ago, when I was single, before I was married, I had bonded with a coworker of mine named Theo. And Theo had moved to the New York area to work for our big company at the time. But he was a Midwestern kind of country guy. So he was new, he didn't know anybody. And a lot of my coworkers didn't like Theo. They thought he's erratic, he's dramatic, he's, is he on drugs, you know? And I loved Theo. And I said, you know, you're, you're taking all of it the wrong way. Um, because once Theo arrived in New York, he realized he was dying from a horrible disease. You know, he was a Midwestern country guy, and now he's alone and dying in one of the biggest cities in the world. And it happened to be at Christmas time. And so when he was hospitalized, and it seemed like it was the end, I went up to Columbia Presbyterian Hospital. I found my way to Theo's hotel, h- hospital room. And he wasn't very coherent, but I sat by his bedside and I was like, Theo, it's Carol. And I'll never forget it. He, he opened his eyes, but I knew he couldn't see. His eyes were almost like had this glaze over them, but he smiled, you know, and he knew I was there. He could hear me and that's all that mattered. And I assured him, Theo, I'm coming back every day. Like there was no way I was letting this kind gentleman pass away alone in a, in a strange city to him. So for days I'd go, I'd visit him and I would tell him just random stories, usually ripping apart our bosses, you know, just to kind of make him chuckle. And he could barely smile, but I could tell he was trying to. So I, I knew he would hear me. And then about a little after a week of going every day, I arrived in the hospital lobby one day and there was this beautiful children's choir um, singing and it was Christmas time. And... um I totally teared up because first I love children's choirs and then second add on Christmas time. And it's like, I'm done. It was just the most beautiful moment in this hospital lobby. But I also welled up with tears because I knew in my heart of hearts that Theo had just passed away. I knew it. I had no doubt. I knew me hearing this children's choir was like angels welcoming him into heaven. I knew it. And I took the elevator up to his unit and the nurses confirmed what I already kind of knew as soon as I walked into the hospital that day. And, you know, as someone who loved working in show business and loved entertaining crowds, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to know that Theo was gifted with a touching and heartfelt performance um, for his final journey. And I'm telling you that story because it's going to make sense in a couple minutes. But, you know, getting back to our, our story, we, we transferred one of our last embryos um to our surrogate Lisa on January 17th of 2019 and that is an especially hectic time for me um because i produce a big project that's based on the Super Bowl so january is like you won't hear from me that month so it was really wildly crazy to be doing the em- embryo transfer there and then knowing i'm going to be working like you know 24/7 for the next 2 weeks around the Super Bowl but then also Suddenly, um, one of my beloved aunts, my Aunt Audrey, fell very ill. And it was a a shock because she had just sent us a Christmas video of her singing and all happy. And it happened fast. And so on top of the embryo transfer, on top of my biggest show, you know, about to happen, I was worried sick. I was worried sick for my aunt. I was worried sick for my cousins, Jenny and Susie, her daughters. And I was worried sick for my mom, who was likely going to lose her baby sister. So um, when we transferred our embryo to Lisa, um, the doctor told us after the transfer, he said, listen, if this embryo is to stick, it's going to happen within the next 24 hours. So within a day of when we were there doing the transfer. Um, And as always, we know if we were officially pregnant through a a blood test in the office two weeks later. So, the day after that embryo transfer, I rushed over to Santa Monica Promenade, which is this huge outdoor shopping center in Santa Monica, California. And, but it wasn't really a joyful shopping experience. I, um, I had to find some clothes and I was looking for a dressy black outfit because I knew I had a red carpet show to produce. And I also knew that I needed an outfit for a potential family funeral. So, it wasn't a happy shopping experience, but I went into the store called Club Monaco and I found a nice outfit and I'm about to pay for it. And I overhear this other customer say, oh my gosh, do you hear that voice? Listen to that voice out on the promenade. That's the most stunning voice I've ever heard. Well, the Santa Monica promenade, because it's in LA, you know, it's an outdoor mall and a lot of performers go there and they, you know, strum their guitars, they sing their songs. And a lot of them are immensely talented and they're there to try to be discovered because we're in LA. and. So this woman said that, she goes, do you hear that woman singing out there? You know, what a spectacular voice. And so I went up to pay and um, the saleswoman was like, do you hear that? Like, what? In, like, I haven't heard a voice like that in a long time. And my face went white. And I said, you know, I do hear her. And she has a beautiful soprano voice. Um, but my aunt is in the hospital right now and she's very sick. And my aunt happens to be a competitive soprano singer. And I just, I just feel very emotional right now is what I said to her. So she was like, I understand. I wish you the best. And, and I had no doubt, um, hearkening back to the story I just told you about Theo, I had no doubt that we were losing my aunt at that moment. Um, you know, my, my occurrence with Theo those years earlier taught me to always look for signs. And I, I'm not going to get all deep on this, but I believe signs come to us every day, but we're all just too damn busy to realize them. And I knew that sign with Theo and this comp- this soprano singer out there singing so beautifully. I'm like, I know what's happening. So I, I felt kind of sick, but I kept check- checking my phone and nothing was coming through. It was all work stuff. I'm like, well, okay, maybe not. I went to um, Cheesecake Factory to finally eat. And the hostess was like, well, it's going to be a 20 minute wait. I said, that's fine because I'm emotionally and physically drained between the embryo transfer and everything else. So I sat down to wait and then the text popped up you know, from my cousin, Jenny. And she said, my aunt Audrey had passed within the last hour and my tears started streaming. I tried my best to hide them. And I told the hostess, I'll just go sit at the bar, you know? So I went to the bar, I ordered something quick and easy. And I started rereading my cousin Jenny's text and it dawned on me and it it hit me really, really hard because the doctor's words from the day before kept ringing in my ear and and, and they his words were, if your baby is going to implant, it's going to happen within the next 24 hours. And here I was at the Cheesecake Factory Bar exactly, you know, I think it was about 20 hours later. So it was in that time period. And this peacefulness set over me because I knew. Like, I knew the timing was eerie, but no coincidence. And I knew that the odds of it happening were nearly unbelievable. And I knew, I knew my baby had implanted. Um, And that as Aunt Audrey's spirit was veering towards heaven, she passed my baby going the opposite way to a new life. And I truly suspect that she gave my baby a big old healthy push to help. And the timing was so insane um, to think that. Their souls may have passed each other in this ether, like right at the same time that I cried so hard that day at the Cheesecake Factory bar. I swear the bartender thought I was a drug addict or I needed like (laughs) hospitalization because I was beside myself. But little did he realize I just experienced something that was deeply spiritual and to me like a one in a million experience. So I actually I kept my receipt from the Cheesecake Factory that day. I have it right here. See? (laughs) <laughs> cheesecake factory um and it says the date and it says my aunt's name because sometimes when i'm having a crazy day i actually i hang it in my kitchen cabinet um because you know you're always in the kitchen and it's usually when things are hectic you're cooking or you're running out and i put it in there because i like to be reminded um you know that the signs and messages are out there and um just kind of no matter what's going on to that there is peacefulness to find peacefulness um so after my aunt's funeral, I jetted off to Atlanta, which is where the Super Bowl was that year, and I, I arrived, and when you arrive and you're working on it, it's like chaos, but it's fun chaos. So I, I met with all the, executive, the NFL executives. I said hello to my production crew, who I work with, who are amazing, and I told my fellow producers, you know, I'm going to be out of pocket for about three hours. I didn't explain why, but I went to my hotel room, and I literally rocked back and forth on my hotel room floor because I knew today was the day. The day I landed there to work at the Super Bowl was the day I would find out if Lisa was pregnant or not. And for a long hour, I sat there just like sweating and sick and anxiety ridden. And then an email came from the fertility doctor's nurse and the subject said, congratulations. And I just fell to the floor sobbing hysterically. Um, I had known it in my heart. I knew with the Ann story, I knew things were going to be okay. I just knew it. Um, but when you see it, you see the good news finally, it's it's different. And so I called Lisa right away. And she's like, listen, Carol, I sorta knew things were going well. Like I I know when I'm pregnant, and I felt pregnant. Um, but she said, I didn't want to jump the gun and tell you just in case. Um, but she's like, I've had these odd cravings. Like, I want to eat a banana every day. And I don't even like bananas. And I said, oh, my gosh, George eats a banana every day. Well, then she and I both started crying. Um, and then I, I told her, I said, Lisa, I felt positive this whole time. And I just rehashed the story about my aunt passing that I told you. And Lisa was just beside herself sobbing. And she was like, Carol, we now. We have a guardian angel, you know, looking out for all of us. And she said, I'm carrying your miracle baby, finally. So, you know, when I had agreed to move to California years ago, I told my husband, who's a California boy, I said, I need to see snow every year. Like I'm a snow girl, I could live in an igloo. So he said, he promised me, you know, as a caveat to living in California, I'll always make sure you see great snow once a year. And he always kept his word. And so that year, We went up up to Mammoth, um, which is, you know, mountains in California, because we needed a distraction. Like, we knew Lisa was pregnant with our baby, but, you know, you think about it every hour of every day. So to try to get rid of the anxiety and the nervousness feeling, we decided a weekend of, you know, snowboarding and skiing would be what we needed. So while we were there, I decide I'm going to go shopping. There's this cute little marketplace. It's all snowy and just charming. So I went into this women's boutique and... I was trying on clothes and just something across the room caught my eye. And it was this necklace. And it was a beautiful circular charm. And I went over and I looked at it, but it was too tiny to see what it was. So I had to take a picture with my phone and zoom in. And I I said to the woman, I said, Is this a man like on this, you know, emblem of this necklace? And I said, Is he carrying a baby? And the saleswoman said, Yes. And she said, That's St. Christopher. And she said, the the story is that he was crossing a river when he saw a young child needed to be carried across the river. That wasn't his. Um, but Christopher carried that child across this fast, rough, you know, raging river. And the child was so, so heavy, but, you know, Christopher still carried him across the river. And St. Christopher had no idea that the child he was really carrying was Christ and that he was carrying the weight of the entire world. That's why the baby was so heavy. And she said he carried that child across the river for all of us. So I was like, oh my gosh. Like, and, and I'm like, so obviously they were all okay, right? She laughed, she's like, yeah, Carol, they were okay. And um, so I said to her, I need to buy two of those. I need to buy two of those necklaces, one for me and one for another special girl I know who's carrying a different type of miracle baby you know, across a delicate path. And I still wear it. I try to wear it every single day. You see it. Yeah. And um, Lisa wears hers too. But again, just another sign, you know, um, that there are no coincidences, or so I believe. So by May, we had reached our second trimester. We were so excited. This is the furthest we've ever gotten with a pregnancy. And so I would go down and I would... um see Lisa at every appointment, and we would take pictures of her budding belly. Now, we'd never gotten to this point in seven years, and we finally told all of our friends and family. We put together this fun movie poster, and and we sent it out um, that said, finally, it's finally happening, you know, and um, we shared that news with them on Mother's Day weekend, and shortly after, at the end of May, I drove down to San Diego for one of uh, Lisa's doctor's appointments. And we're there, and the doctor's doing the ultrasound. And the doctor just looks at the screen and goes, Wow. And Lisa and I are looking at each other. And I'm like, We're both thinking, is that a good wow or a bad wow? And the doctor, you know, stops doing the ultrasound, asks Lisa to sit up and said, Listen, I'm pretty certain we have a case of what's called Vasa Previa. And she said, You may have heard of placenta Previa, where the placenta Locks part of the uterus where the baby would be delivered, and she said, "But vasa previa is a step further than that. Um, the baby's umbilical cord is unprotected, and it's passing right over Lisa's cervix." So Lisa started to cry, and I just went into full adrenaline mama bear mode, and I'm like, "Explain to us what does this mean? I need to know exactly what this means." And and she said, "Well, it means your your baby appears perfectly healthy. That's the good news. The The, you know, more worrying news is that the umbilical cord is your baby's lifeline. And we need to make sure your baby doesn't kick that cord. And every single week will count. Um, But she said, here's some good news. The expert in Vasa Previa happens to be here in San Diego at another hospital. And um, he's researching it. He knows more than anyone. So we're going to call him in to see you at your next appointment. So a week later, we were back there. And the vasoprevia doctor, I mean, he's a high risk doctor, but he, vasoprevia is one of the things he studies and researches. His name is Dr. Katanzarite, And he came in and this time George came with us too, because things were starting to get real again. And Dr. Katanzarite started that ultrasound and said the one word we didn't want to hear, which was, wow. And he started taking numerous pictures and he was almost a little bit excited because He's like the mad scientist geeking out, like, because he had been studying this and he needed proof for his medical research that all these cases exist and how differently they exist. But he had been doing research on a different kind of vasoprevia, and it was grade three. As far as I know, there's a grade one and two, but grade three is kind of new. So he was trying to prove to the medical field that, you know, this, these cases exist. And here it was right in front of his face. It was... Our baby in this rare vasoprevia, very delicate grade three situation. So he said, listen, we have a healthy baby, but the baby's lifeline has moved away from the placenta where it would normally be. And it's merely two centimeters from the cervix opening. And he said, Lisa, you're, you're going to be in for a really long bed rest. And this baby, we thought it was going to be an October baby. It's not going to be an October baby. It's going to be an August baby. And he said, we should expect a preemie and we're gonna monitor this baby's movements and the baby's weight because we also don't want the baby to get too heavy because then it could you know, rupture that lifeline. And he reiterated what the first doctor said. He goes, we need to make sure this baby does not kick that cord. So Lisa immediately started sobbing, understandably. And I'm sure part of it was pregnancy hormones, but the bigger part, was also thinking about she's you know she's a mom now all her summer plans were shot we thought this was an October baby she had plans with her sons and now we would all need you know additional child care help for Lisa which none of us had thought of or or planned and Lisa was now limited like she couldn't do anything she couldn't lift things she couldn't barely walk she couldn't even go out and buy groceries for her family and in there in the office she said to me and George as she was sobbing, I'm so sorry. And and George and I consoled her and we're like, this isn't your fault, you know, this is yet another fluke that we just happened to stumble upon. And, you know, sadly, George and I were used to a life of flukes at that point. Um, but we assured her, listen, we'll get the childcare help. We'll do anything we can to make sure your son still have an amazing summer. Um, so our time in the doctor's office was spent consoling Lisa. You know, she's carrying our baby in a delicate scenario. We wanted her to feel okay. Um, she's a selfless angel, you know, just like Harley was. And she was giving up so much to make our dream come true. But as we drove home like an hour later, as is only natural, our, our own anger and our fear set in. And I remember we were driving, George was driving, and he just said finally, what the fudge like you know said the real word and he said what the fudge else could go wrong for us like what else I'm done I'm done with all of this like he just lost his mind and we were driving along Del Rios Del Dios Highway which is kind of by down by San Diego and when you're you're up high on this cliff and there's this beautiful lake below and it's like listening to my husband just finally lose it and be like we see this healthy baby and now we don't know if we're gonna have him or her like he just lost it. And I had this fleeting thought. I'm like, does he just want to drive off the cliff right now? And I'm not saying neither one of us has ever been suicidal, but I'm like, I kind of get it. Cause right now we were so deep in despair, you know, just when we thought we were in the clear that I had the same thought, which I wasn't ever going to do, by the way. But it's like you have this thought of, oh my gosh, things just get so like every twist and turn, it gets worse and worse. And we were just at a point where we could not handle another loss, especially the loss of a baby that was nearly fully developed and 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 ready for life. So, you know, I told Dr. Katanzaray a week later. I'm like, "I want you to deliver my baby. If you're the if you're the expert in this, like you should be the one to, to deliver our baby." And he said, "Unfortunately, your insurance doesn't match up with my hospital." And he said, "And your baby's going to be a preemie. Your baby will be in the NICU." And, you know, I don't want you to handle those out-of-network costs, like on top of all of this stress. He said it could be a whole lot of money. So he said, listen, I, I know the folks up at Cedars-Sinai in LA. Um, your OBGYN, Dr. Tony Jen in, in LA is fantastic. As in my previous story, I, I kind of have already proven he was. And he said he's affiliated with Cedars-Sinai. You know, we'll get you hooked up with a high-risk doctor there as well. Um, as well as my OBGYN. And together they'll deliver your baby, the two of them. And he said, but I'm going to be here and I'm going to be staying in close contact with them. And I'm going to be looking at all the ultrasound images. I'm going to be here with you through this. So a few days later, um, we were hooked up with our high-risk doctor at Cedar sinai Dr. Stephen Radd. And he's so wonderful. He heard about our case and how rare it was. And he kindly agreed to see us in his office at 1030 at night. So Lisa and I barreled up again from San Diego to L.A. We arrive in his office at 1030 at night. We're there in the darkness. His team's with him. And he starts the ultrasound and he says the word again. He says, wow. And, you know, we had become used to that word. But um, he said, we're going to admit Lisa in three days. And it's really early. I think it was even before 27 weeks. And he said, she's going to be on full bed rest until birth. And, you know, he said, we're we're admitting her for bed rest early and your insurance is probably going to balk at it and not want to cover it. He said, but don't worry, Dr. right and myself will write letters to the insurance company explaining that this is a new type of, you know, challenge we're seeing in pregnancies and we'll fight that fight for you. So don't worry about that for now. Because we were basically an anomaly, like we... I mean, from what I could gather, even legendary Cedars-Sinai Hospital in L.A. had never seen a Vasa Previa grade three case yet. Naturally, and as luck would have it, we, we had to be the first. So um, I showed up at Lisa's house down near San Diego around July 4th to drive her up to L.A., you know, and she was saying goodbye to her family. It was very emotional because she wouldn't see them for a while. And her bags were packed and, you know, we had our emotional goodbye with her boys and the boys and her husband were like, we're going to be fine. We're going to come visit you as much as we can. And, and um, so Lisa and I drove to L.A. And as we were starting to get her settled in her hotel room, the doctors reminded me, they said, listen, the second Lisa feels something odd, if she starts bleeding, if she feels weird twinges, we're taking your baby out. And they said, we're not waiting for you and your husband to come up here. Like it, the second anything goes wrong, she goes straight to ER and you might actually miss the birth of your baby, but it's to save your baby because the longer your baby's in, you know, distress, the harder it will be. So I remained stoic as much as I could. And I told the doctor, I will never turn my cell phone off from this point on. (laughs) Like I will be sitting there waiting. So I hugged Lisa. I said, I'll be come back the next day and I'll bring some food or whatever. And just as I arrived home that night, Lisa's in the hospital. We had a historic 6.4 earthquake in Los Angeles. Not joking. Okay. So I call up Lisa right away. I'm like, are you okay? And she picked up her phone. And the first words she said were, you have got to be kidding me. And I'm like, you're okay. She's like, I'm okay. But that was a big earthquake. So the following day, Los Angeles had an even bigger earthquake, a 7.1. That's a pretty big earthquake. (laughs) So after swaying up and down for what felt like an eternal, into eternity, I called Lisa again and she said, I cannot believe this is happening to us. And I was like, you know, because I got to find humor in it. I said, hey, listen, this is just my baby who finally arrived in L.A. and is announcing to the world his or her intent to shake up this world. Like, that's what it is. They're shaking it up. Earthquakes, historic earthquakes. We're here. We're in L.A. This is going to happen. So Lisa made it through that July. And with every passing week, we'd celebrate. Our baby was growing to a healthy weight. I went up to Cedars every day and would bring... Lisa and I ate more steak, uh, filet mignon with sides of cream spinach and egg sandwiches in the morning. I'm like, we're eating anything we want. Like, anything. Um, so we ate and we bonded more than we could ever imagine about life. And, and at that time, we didn't know if we'd be having a boy or a girl. We didn't want to know. We actually put a sign on the door, on Lisa's door that said, we don't know the gender. Like, please don't reveal it because so much of this journey for us had been different than most people's that we said, that's the last part that will be the joyful surprise. You know what I mean? Like we didn't want to, we wanted that moment. Um, so You know, we started choosing names for both a boy or a girl. We agreed on the girl's name, but the boy's name we were having a really hard time with. And George said, I want to name him Wellington. And I said, well, that's very British. And, you know, um, but I wasn't completely sold at first. And then George just unknowingly said, well, we can call him Wells for short. And right there, you know, I'm a New Yorker who will have 9-11 etched in her heart forever. and I knew that one of the most touching stories from that day of 9-11 was a story of a a young man who was like 28 named Wells Crowther. And he basically, he was known as the man in the red bandana. There's been um, documentaries made about him um, because he sacrificed his own life, this young guy, to save others. He carried women down flights of stairs. He organized the escape groups. Like up on that 100-something floor, he took charge, and his name was Wells Crowther, and I never forgot that story. He was a fighter and he was a hero. And as soon as George randomly said, we'll just call him Wells, like he had no idea, I was sold. I said, you want to know something? That if we have a boy, that'll be the name of our son because our baby needs to be a fighter and our baby has to hold strong and not kick that cord. And our baby's also going to have to be a fighter in the NICU and we need a fighter's name. So I blurted out, that's it. His name, if it's a boy, will be Wellington or Wells for short. So my L.A. doctors at Cedars had been in close contact with Dr. Catanzaray down in San Diego. And Dr. Catanzaray said, I want this baby coming out at 34 weeks. No ifs, ands, or buts. And he felt that every day was a further risk. Um, And luckily for us, we could tell our baby was over five pounds, which was a great place to be. So as that 34 weeks approached, the Cedars medical team, they took me aside. And they're like, listen, Lisa's been on bed rest for, you know, nearly two months, she hasn't had one pain, she hasn't had one complication. And they said, we know Dr. Kutanzerite wants the baby to come out right at 34 weeks, but we need to let you know that every day, even one day after 34 weeks or two days after, will only help your baby's lungs and breathing and you know, improve. And we feel like every day is crucial. So we want to talk to you about whether you're set on 34 weeks taking the baby out or you wanna go another day or two, you know, to try to eliminate any further problems. And they said, it's your call. And I, without any doubt, it was another maternal instinct. I said, take my baby out at 34 weeks. I want my baby out. I'm no longer playing Russian roulette with my baby's life, with everyone here. Like, that's it. Take my baby out. I, it's it, We're ready to meet our fighter baby. So on August 24th, 2019, at around 1130 in the morning, well, I'm sorry, at 34 weeks, me, George, Lisa and her husband, um, we all put on our scrubs, getting ready to go in for the C-section. And usually only one person is allowed in the room with the patient for a C-section. But our high-risk doctor at Cedars, Dr. Rad, he said, you know, it's the anesthesiologist's call, so we'll see what he says. And Dr. Rad came in as we're scrubbing up, getting ready for the big moment. And he said, well, I want to let you know, the anesthesiologist knows you're your past and your journey. And he says that, you know, both Carol and George can be in the delivery room today. And Lisa, beautiful Lisa, just cried with joy. And she knew that after this seven year long trying journey, she didn't want it to have to be only me or only George in that delivery room. She's like, you both deserve to be there, standing side by side for the birth of your baby, just like you stood side by side throughout this horrible long journey. Um, So we were called to the operating room and it was the big time and Lisa and I walked in our scrubs, actually walked down to the C-section side by side down the hall. We were two women on a mission together and Lisa's husband and my husband George walked about 20 feet behind us. And George told me that Lisa's husband said to him, hey, look ahead of us. Those are those are two superheroes walking in front of us, which made me cry a little bit. (laughs) So at 11.30 on August 24th, 2019, after seven years of struggle, we were blessed with a beautiful five-pound, nine-ounce baby boy. And we certainly named him Wellington or Wells for short. And um, we explained in the birth announcement the meaning of this name. And many of the folks who we explained it to had heard about Wells Crowder from 9-11 and how much of a fighter and a hero he was. And the folks that hadn't soon learned about him. Um, so it was an honor to name our Miracle Wells um, and to now be able to hear that name every day. And our aunt soon reminded us that it was the the Duke of Wellington who also led the charge and saved Europe from Napoleon, which we had no idea. So she said, you chose the right fighter name. And on that delivery day, you know, the the, the delivery room at Cedars was packed, packed with doctors, you know, all different teams getting ready to help our baby once they were born because we didn't know you know what the condition would be um, there was also a, a medical researcher there to take pictures because of the rare previa grade three scenario um, but wellington was hanging in he was doing great he needed help breathing and a couple other things and they explained it to us and he ended up in the NICU of course and that's when dr rad who was our high-risk doctor visited me two days later and he said carol I am so glad we took your baby out at 34 weeks because once we did, we realized that that placenta had even more delicate membranes that could not have been picked up on any ultrasound. And Wellington's situation was even more dire than we originally thought. And it comforts me to know that little wells helped advance medical research. And I'm also certain that no woman in the future, will ever enter Cedar Sinai and maybe even any hospital, because they all share medical research with each other. No woman will ever enter, you know, Cedars or another hospital and be allowed to carry a baby past 34 weeks if she has Vasa Previa and the grade three, the new version. Because Wells' case and and the discoveries that happened, you know, during that C-section were a medical game changer. So we like to think that on his first day of life, Wells already made a difference and he already maybe saved future mothers and future babies from dire complications down the road. And I know we'll never know their faces and names, but it gives me comfort to know that. And as for baby Wellington, he crushed it in the NICU. (laughs) Um, The nurses were so amazed. Uh, He actually used his legs to try to push his way out of the um, incubator. He didn't want to be in there. He was such a fighter. He's like, get me out of here. I got strong legs. I'm trying to get out. Um, And the nurses, you know, said, we're embarrassed. He's off his pad. Please, no, he keeps kicking. He he wants to get out. Um, And I said to them, you know, he might have his daddy's dark and handsome good looks, but that's his mommy's New Yorker spirit fighting through. So those saintly NICU nurses, you know, soon taught him how to suck appropriately. And he was breathing on his own after two weeks. And we were finally discharged from Cedars. And as karma would have it, Will's first day home with us, his first full day home with us, was September 11th, 2019. So that's the story um, with a lot of lessons. And with um, twists, turns, and I know my story was long, and if you hung in with me, I appreciate you listening to it. And I know at times it was sad, but I think the point of the story is to never give up. I mean, I, I never, I didn't know anything about surrogacy, nothing. Um, I never thought my life would take that path, but it was a beautiful path. I'm still very close to both my surrogates. They're like my sisters. We visit each other. We talk about life. We share secrets. They're forever a part of our family, and you know, for me, I, I know what people's struggles are when they're going through this. But I would have paid any amount to have a baby because I looked at it like I live one life. You know what I mean? And I, it's just the one thing I want out of anything. And I don't care if I have to take another mortgage out of my house. I don't care if I have to borrow money from friends and family that I'll someday pay back. Um, you know, every bit of it, you know, would be priceless. Um, in the end. And my friend Debbie, who, who was one of my rocks throughout this whole thing, once said to me when I was in the thick of this craziness, she said, Carol, once you have your baby, you don't remember any of the journey. And I was like, well, that's got to be impossible because this has been crazy. But she was right. Like until I took the time to write it down and never, I never think about it because it doesn't matter. Um, so yeah, I think Getting to the success point, no matter what your journey entails, just involves having an open mind, you know, and realizing that you might be sent down a path like I was that you never expected. Um, But I promise you, it all works out. I promise you, if you want to be a mom, you want to be a dad, you want to be parents, just like I knew in my heart of hearts when I was as young as 19, having that surgery on my fallopian tubes. It can happen. You will be a parent. You just need to go in with an open mind um, and deal with the punches along the way. And, you know, I want to say, don't you ever let anyone steal that dream from you. You know, don't, don't let losses like I had get you so far down the hole because let me tell you something as my my second fertility doctor who was amazing told me she goes losses provide us with information she said your first doctor told you you can never be pregnant you were just pregnant and in fact i was pregnant i think 3 times and she goes now we have new information i know you're capable of being pregnant so as every loss came it only helped the doctors further you know what my personal scenario might be and and to that point, don't trust just one doctor. Um, it's a real pain to have to go fill out all the paperwork and do all the blood work and all of that. But doctors practice medicine. Keyword practice. They're not gods. You know, they don't. Some know more than others. Some have more life experience and and medicine experience. And and get second opinions because it's my second opinion is the reason why I'm sitting here as a mom today. And don't think. IVF might be a one-time thing. I hope it is, and it is for a good number of women. But I went into it thinking, we're doing IVF, all my problems are solved. And yeah, it took me seven years. I'm not saying it's gonna take you seven years. It might just take you two times, or maybe one. But going into it thinking that it's a done deal and all your problems are solved, they might not be. Sometimes it takes a little while for the doctor to figure out exactly what your body needs to make your pregnancy happen. And, you know, don't let any Aunt Sally or whoever you have in your life try to, who's all into, you know, their religion, tell you IVF or any other path is immoral and is against God's wish. I, I didn't have a lot of that, but I had a little bit of just people who didn't want to talk to me about it. And I knew it's because maybe it was against their religion. And, and, you know, unless God told Aunt Sally that directly, which I doubt he or she did, um... Aunt Sally doesn't know squat, okay? Don't let anyone's judgment deter you from your course because, you know, what I believe is God's will is to sacrifice for others, for the good of others. God's will is to show others love and support, especially children, no matter what their journey or what their path was. So don't you dare let a lifetime dream pass you by off someone else's beliefs or harsh words. You have one life to live and you you gotta live it on your terms. And don't forget what my amazing fertility therapist once told me. She said, you know, Carol, whether you have to adopt, whether you have to use a sperm donor, an egg donor, a surrogate, whatever your your own, you know, genetics, whatever your path is, being a mom, being a parent is all the same. It's picking up Cheerios off the floor. It's Kisses and cuddles and giggles and Elmo, and she said, and it's laying in bed at night with your back hurting so bad that you don't even know how you're going to get up the next day and do it all over again, but you do, and you love it. So um, it is. It's all the same. So and and don't ever forget the power of sisterhood. My friends got me through this, and they know who they are. Um, sending me rosary beads and sending me sweet symbols off of their bassinets. I still have them all. Um, and on that note, for those of you who are joining us from the Facebook IVF infertility uh, group, thank you. And I want to let you know, I'm really excited because our next episode will have a very special guest, which is Ms. Brenda Rana, who is the one who started that Facebook group for women going through this. Um, she's the administrator of the group and there's 15,000 women on that group from a- all over the world. Who are going through a lot of what I just said or similar scenarios and we're getting through it together. So, I'm going to have Brenda on the show Um, and we're going to take your answers, I mean your questions and answer them as best as we can and give opinions. Now, neither one of us is a medical doctor, I want to say that. I can't answer stuff about medicines or anything else, but like I said, we're going to get through this um, together. And it's a terrible analogy, but when I was going through it I often equated it to a divorce. like any of my friends that got divorced, I could give them advice, but I would always say to them, you want to know something? Go talk to a woman who's been through a divorce because she's going to know more than I do. And she's going to give you better advice. And it's the same thing here. It's it's one of life's greatest challenges. But when you talk to other women who have been through it, sometimes you get some of the best advice. And, and I know I did. So you can submit your questions. Um, to me directly at hollywoodsportsmom.com. And you'll see my emails there, carol at hollywoodsportsmom.com. Send any questions and Brenda and I will try to get to as many as we can. And if you're out there listening and you're interested in joining Brenda's Facebook group, it is called IVF Infertility and Pregnancy Support. You'll see it has just about 15,000 people in the group. But stay strong, be well. And if I made it through, you can too, and you will. You will become a mom. You will become a dad. And as I end every single one of my shows, whether I'm talking about Hollywood stars and athletes or I'm talking about this journey and other life instances, celebrate life. Thank you, and I'll see you next time.